The Bright Horizons Parenting Podcast, just for ages 0 to 8. Get the advice you need from our own early childhood expert, Education Vice President Rachel Robertson. And make the most out of every chance to teach, play, and love. Stress is something we all deal with, and we're always learning ways to handle it, children especially. But these days, the kids are building those skills in the middle of a pandemic. It's kind of a big request. But Rachel and our newest podcast team member, Claire Goss, discuss ways to help them and also how you can spot the differences between everyday stress and trauma-related stress that might require professional help. Hello, everyone. I am happy to be here today talking to you another important child development topic. And I'm joined by a new member of our podcast team, a educator and parenting expert, Claire Goss. Hello, Claire. Hi, Rachel. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm the new manager of family education resources at Bright Horizons. I'm also a mom of three. And I've been a parenting educator for years, and I'm just so thrilled to be joining the team and to be here today to talk to you about what I think is a pretty important topic. We've been talking a lot about social-emotional development and stress. We know a lot of parents have this question about, will the children be okay? Are they okay right now? What does stress look like? When should I worry? What can I do? When do I not have to worry? So Claire and I are going to dig into that today. And, you know, this pandemic, it's really looked different from family to family. It depends on what's going on. Do you have essential workers in your family, parents working from home all the time? Do you have educators who are trying to teach other children while their own children are needing assistance? And just what's going on in every child's life is different. Has there been illness in the family, loss of a loved one? There's just been so much change and instability But no matter what's going on in the last 10 months, the one thing that all families have in common is that there has been increased stress. I think we can agree that that is one huge commonality that we've all faced together. Absolutely. We're all at a heightened level of stress. And some of it's because we've had a lot of ambiguous loss. We don't know when this is going to be over. We've lost connections. We don't know what's happening next. And then some of it is, as you were saying, related to some pretty serious stuff has happened to some families that have a real significant impact. Yeah. So what do we know about children and stress, Rachel? The good and bad maybe is that we know a lot about children and stress. We didn't need a pandemic to tell us about childhood stress. And some of it, like all stress, stress for adults is fine. It's good, actually. We want some of it in our lives. And some of it is not so good. And sharing the definitions in the context for the different types of stress maybe can help parents categorize what's going on in their children's lives right now. And not only can we look at just day-to-day children's stress, we can look in history at other events that have been significant. For example, Hurricane Katrina, and that, that whole community was displaced and had a lot of disruption. That's sort of happening to all of us in this country right now. So we can look to that as well. So there's this level of normal positive stress. And I'll say that this is for adults too, right? This makes sense for all of us. So normal positive stress, maybe going to the doctor, you have some pain going on or something, or you're unsure about something. There's a little stress with that. 
meeting someone new, going to a conference, like, oh, I have to network, I have to talk to people, you know, those kinds of stresses. Yeah, right. You're moving, but that's probably a good thing. Maybe not always, but a lot of times moving is a good thing. <laughs> a wedding is a good thing. Still pretty stressful promotions. So that's normal, positive stress. We actually want those things to happen. We want some of those things to happen in our lives. And we also want to be able to build up the skills to deal with that kind of stress. It's good for us as adults. It's good for children to learn how to do that. So we don't want to get rid of that stress. We don't want to be stress-free, but we do want to have good coping strategies and develop tools and tricks and just good human interpersonal relationships and, and self-skills to be able to get through that kind of stress. Right. And those skills are important for parents and children to have. So we're yes. we're giving our children lots of practice with their normal positive stress all the time. Right. So can you talk to me a little bit more about what the difference is between that kind of stress and maybe what's going on right now with the pandemic? Yeah, so then we get into these categories and there's different terms. The terms we have often used are presented by Harvard Center for Developing Children, this idea of tolerable stress. So that's more pronounced stress. It might be specific to an event like maybe a car accident or a loss of a grandparent, which is it's not going to permanently affect you or you expected it, but it's still very stressful and difficult. It happens for a while, but it's probably not going to cause significant developmental issues or impact you negatively for a prolonged amount of time. Tolerable stress often is an experience that I can relate to as like a military deployment. It's stressful the whole time, but it is going to end. And then there's this level of toxic stress. And all of those things I just mentioned could turn into toxic stress. This prolonged level of deep stress that has long-term consequences. So some of those things could, depending on the family, depending on the circumstances, depending on the outcome, could turn into that. But also you think about things like homelessness, lack of food, or what's called food insecurity. You don't know where your next meal is coming from or you're having any kind of neglect or abuse, and that could be coming from any part of your life, that's where it gets into this level of toxicity that will have an impact on children's long-term development. So we don't want tolerable stress to go into toxic stress. And that's sort of where we are with the pandemic is it's prolonged. It's been going on for a while. It's hard mm -hmm. to believe it's only been 10 months. It feels like 10 years. <laughs> I know. But we don't want it to get into toxic stress. And we certainly know some of it has already turned into toxic stress. But as adults, as parents, as family members, that's where we want to focus our attention. Yeah. And there's this other term that's thrown around a lot when we talk about stress, which is trauma. And I just wanted to differentiate really quickly between those different definitions. So not all stress is trauma. Like you just discussed, there's positive stress and tolerable stress, but all trauma does induce stress. So trauma is a really pronounced emotional, psychological, physiological residue kind of that's left over from those heightened levels of toxic stress that come along with experiences of danger, significant loss, instability, violence, life-threatening events. And we, we know from the research and as early childhood experts is that young children are really particularly vulnerable to the effects of trauma, that traumatic stress. Yeah, I think that's important to think about and to be clear that it can interrupt development, which has a can have a lifelong impact. It's hard to overcome that. It's not impossible, but it's hard. So when we have young children and they're in these places of tolerable to toxic stress or having some residual trauma, we need to really pay attention and provide the support they need as quickly as we can and comprehensively as we can. 
So I know that, as we mentioned, the pandemic's been a really long haul and families have felt the stress across the board. I know people in my community have experienced illness, job loss, just the stress of not being able to see your family that may be across the country. How can we tell if our children are feeling stressed? What are the telltale signs? Yeah, so I mean, just like adults, just like all of us, we express stress differently and we feel stressed differently. Something that I might be stressed about, you might not even notice. So we do wanna think about children as their own people with their own temperaments and their own tolerance levels. We can build those, we can work on those and those are just as, or maybe even more important than working on more academic skills in the early years so they can have that fortified resilience for the rest of their life. But again, we're gonna look for different things and change is the biggest thing you wanna look for. So I'm gonna share some signs of stress, but if these are some of the things your children did before, or if they're less tolerable to stress or that's part of their temperament, then you'd again, look for the change in that. And even babies can pick up on stress. I mean, a lot of stress from children is coming from the adult stress or adults' reactions to stress. So, you know, kids can usually tell whether the parents or the adults are fighting because of kind of the emotional vibe in the air around them, (laughs) and they respond to that. So that's an example of what I mean by kids are usually, if the adults are okay, the kids are often okay, or it helps them quite a bit. So if if there's a lot of change going on, you do want to pay attention to their stress levels and the changes in their behaviors. Usually they tell us through behaviors When they're young, absolutely, when they don't have the words or the emotional maturity to be able to tell us, but adults tell us through behavior when they're stressed. So that's a lifelong thing, but kids absolutely, their behavior is communication. We really just wanna look for, are they withdrawing? Or are they acting out? Is something getting fairly extreme? Are they change? Are there changes in like eating habits or sleeping habits or school engagement, anything they're interested in? They might be, back to the behavior comment, some of that behavior is difficult. They might cry a lot or act out a lot or Mm. be frustrated or not listen as well. And they're telling us something. So instead of reacting to it as they're doing it to us to think about this is their way of coping, they need some help. This is them telling us they need some help. So those are the kinds of things you wanna look for. And another thing with children is regressing, going backwards a stage. So if you see them all of a sudden maybe sucking their thumb and that habit had been over for two years, that's something that tells you that they're showing some signs of stress. I know that those same telltale signs extend all the way through adolescence too. So even for your tweens and your teenagers, there's obviously some irritability and withdrawal that may happen naturally in that developmental stage. And not all these changes that we're talking about are due to stress. Some of them are just developmentally appropriate because even in the span of a 10-month pandemic, our children are still growing and developing, yes. right? Good so mm-hmm. we need to keep that in mind. But I guess I'm wondering, how do I know then if my child, no matter the age, might need additional professional help, maybe from a doctor or a therapist? Well, number one, if you feel you're unequipped or your stress level is matching or exceeding your child's, get help. Because then you're in this place where you're dealing with tolerable or toxic stress yourself. And then your child may also be experiencing that with you as maybe you're having the same circumstances or they're picking it up from you or your behavior is influencing their stress levels. So absolutely ask for help. We need to be helping each other, feeling comfortable seeking help and giving help to others as much as possible, more than ever right now. 
if you feel like your child is unable to correct behaviors, respond to your guidance and support, build coping skills, if there's sort of lost control of feelings or behavior, that would be a good time to seek some support when they're showing mostly worry or anxious feelings. They're responding to everything with this heightened sense of worry. If something is disrupting meeting basic needs in your family, food, shelter, the basic need of love, unconditional support and love, if your children can't rely on you for consistent, reliable social emotional support, and if anyone is having violent thoughts or actions expressed them, those are other really important reasons, of course. And, and as I say them, probably you're thinking, well, of course, those are the things that you would want to get help for. But we wanted to share them as a way to differentiate from the kind of normal stress that is happening and should be expected in the middle of a global pandemic. So what about those families that, that have had things happen in the last 10 months, such as job loss or loss of a loved one? These situations are beyond a family's control. What kind of long-term impact do you think there's going to be? I mean, it's a good question. It's a question everybody's asking is what is the long-term impact? What do we do next? How are we going to adjust to this? How are we going to respond? There is some research coming out. There are a lot of professionals that are sharing thoughts that are built on their expertise. And like I said at the beginning, we do have some historical events that we can look to. So of course right. the truth is we don't really know what the long-term impact will be specific to COVID-19. And it is dependent on every individual, just we do really want to respect that and know that five people could be in the same exact scenario, but they're bringing different strengths, assets, experiences, family situations, temperament to that situation. So they will have different impacts of that scenario, that situation that they've been in. But what we do know is that we can help ensure that families have what is often called protective factors or building up family social emotional resources or assets and strengths. So of course that could include, that absolutely includes you have a place to live, you have food and you have your basic needs met, but also it's about resilience and ability to handle change and optimism and emotional literacy, emotional intelligence kinds of skills. And those can be built no matter what the family circumstances. And when those are in place, the research does tell us that children do better, again, no matter what else is happening, because they serve as a protective factor for children. Of course, when you're struggling with resources, they're harder to focus on, right. but they will help and serve as a buffer. So Rachel, I know there's this concept called ACEs that's brought up a lot when professionals talk about kids and trauma. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It's an acronym. It stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And this is what a lot of pediatricians are paying attention to and absolutely mental health professionals. And it's like an assessment of how many adverse childhood experiences is a child having. And that helps the professional know what level of stress or what risk of trauma the child might have. You can think about dosage, just like medication dosage and the amount and how long you have to take medication is what we think about as dosage. And that's when we think of ACEs and the risk of ACEs. Of course, something very significant like abuse. It doesn't matter how long it lasts. It's going to have a negative impact and result in some absolutely stress and trauma. 
However, something like food insecurity, if it's very short term, it will not have the same impact if it's very long term. And so that's where we think about dosage with ACEs or something like a move where a child has to adjust can be stressful. New school can be stressful. The dosage is a lot lower, so it's not going to have a long-term impact unless something's happening as a result of that change or that move. And then you would think, oh, the dosage of this adverse childhood experience is, is significant. So if you want to learn more about ACEs or adverse childhood experiences or you're, you're worried about your child's risk for toxic stress or trauma, type that into any of your search engines and you'll find a lot of information about those that can give you some perspective. And also be sure to ask your pediatricians and they'll have information and insight and can help you think that through. Or if you're working with mental health professionals, they will also know that terminology. It really helps when you're evaluating the risk of long-term impact on a child and their development. Well, so now that we've talked about what stress and trauma is and what that might look like in your children. How do we encourage those protective factors you just mentioned? How do we build up resilience? What kind of strategies can we use to support our children through stress? So this is another thing that we can look at as every day. We already know how to do this because this is something we were focusing on and paying attention for child development without a pandemic because children have individual things, families have individual things that are going on. And so we we're pretty clear about what helps children manage through stress. Again, this is the type of stress that you can handle at home and that you as the adult can support your child with. So children do depend on us a lot. We are setting the emotional tone in the family. We are, we are modeling, even when we don't want to be modeling, mm-hmm. they're watching. So we are modeling. And I think it's really important for adults to know that modeling isn't always about getting it right and showing them exactly how to do it well. It's equally, maybe more important to show them how to recover when it doesn't go well. So making sure that they are seeing that and that you are helping through modeling show how to recover for something, how to bounce back from something, how to be optimistic even though circumstances are difficult. So that's one whole set of things and and cannot be overstated how important that is. Then there's this idea, there are a lot of ideas and concepts around teaching children social and emotional skills. And I've referred to emotional intelligence or emotional literacy. So making sure they have the words to express their feelings, making sure they, they can recognize those feelings. And we can help them with that by giving them some of those words, using story, using books, looking at whether on a Zoom call or if you're out somewhere, talking about what do you think that person's feeling? What do you think they would do next? Why do you think they feel like that? Just really trying to understand other people and ourselves can build some really important emotional skills and therefore turns into that emotional intelligence and empathy. If I could wave a magic wand, I'd have that be a subject in school as much as any other, the typical math, science, language subjects, because it's so critical to everything. And no matter what happens, then children will be more prepared to handle it. And really, we do look at situations like Katrina or 9-11 and know that what helped children the most is when they had those protective factors of a consistent, caring adult in their life that would help them meet their needs. One, if they have a lot of those adults, that is fabulous. They need at least one and they need some structure. They need some routine. They need to be able to know what to expect, have a little sense of control over their lives. And we can recognize as adults that we need this. We look at the clock or the calendar. 
We look at our schedule for the day all the time to help us know how to be successful, know what to expect. Children can't do any of these things, especially young children. Mm -hmm. So it is up to us to provide that structure and routine, not rigidity, but reliable routines that they can count on. Those two things can really help. And those are really coming from the adults. I know. I love the idea that I just being here every day with my children, that I am acting as a protective factor for them. And certainly, like you said, I'm not getting it right every day. <laughs> but sometimes my recovery can teach them more. After a bad day, my recovery can teach them more than the actual <laughs> unpleasantness of the day itself. So yeah. And back to something we mentioned at the very beginning is remembering children are whole people with their own feelings and opinions and thoughts. Of course, they're developing and evolving, but finding out where they are and not going with a punitive lens on behavior, but saying, okay, well, they're telling me something and let me meet them where they are and help build those skills. We talk a lot about scaffolding when we're talking about education for children. So that concept of taking them from where they are to the next place, they really need that from adults. I remember a time I both of my kids were pretty upset about something and they were both laying on the floor crying and I just laid on the floor with them and just kind no. of, this is where we are. And we resolved it. We had this joke, my younger daughter, she liked to go out to eat a lot. And so I said, it is really sad. What should we do about it? And she was about five years old and she said, go out to eat. And then that was over. But it wouldn't have been if I was saying, get off the floor or responded to it in a way to get them to try to stop. That's a lot of what we try to do as adults is try to stop behavior or they weren't doing anything that deserved any kind of discipline or anything. But if I were to come at it like that, or I've already heard this or any kind of reactions like that, it would have extended it. But instead, I was able to meet them where they are and kind of I'm in with this with you. And that was mm -hmm. enough. And things like that are really valuable for kids. It's not very sophisticated. I mean, it's one of those situations sometimes we're stressed out as parents. We have the instinct to treat our children like adults. And even I, early childhood professional, have to stop myself when I'm in my mother mode and remind myself that I'm talking to a child. And this child does not have the skills and the cognition yet to deal with what's in front of them. And the fact, some days I feel like I don't even have the capacity to deal with what's in front of me during this pandemic. So I don't want to put more on them than they're developmentally able to handle. And it's difficult sometimes, but I just keep showing up every day, yep. trying my best. It's a really important to think about not putting adult responsibilities on children. Although I have said, treat them as their own person with their own opinions and strengths and temperament. At the same time, saying something to a child like you're the man of the family now or you need to take care of your parents, implying that really turns out to be a negative for them. It's too much for them, but it is absolutely okay. And adding responsibility and asking them to be part of the family and contribute in a different way is absolutely fine and really good for them. So just finding that middle ground, it's okay to have, kids can also meet the moment. And we can ask a little bit more of them to be helpful around the house or whatever it might be, but to not put that adult pressure and expectations on them. I wanted to ask too about any strategies you have for supporting my children's friendships and social networks during what has been a very lonely time for them. It's an important question and we've had to get pretty creative. Of course, it depends on what's going on in your state and your community. 
for the most part, in high quality childcare programs have been, research is now telling us they've actually looked into this and children are doing pretty well. They're safe and there's a lot of good social and emotional support. So if you can find places or opportunities to have your children engage in things that, again, you want to make sure that good protocols are being followed, but if that's acceptable in your community or you're at a place that that's okay, there is data that tells us that's pretty safe for children. Anything outdoors, I've seen kids playing Simon Says at a park way more than six feet apart from each other. I've seen other kinds of activities outside at a park or where kids are pretty far away from each other, but they're able to socially interact. Things like scavenger hunts. So you're not interacting in the moment with someone, but you're leaving clues for someone or they left clues for you. I've seen across the street, someone leaving a hopscotch for their neighbors and then someone else doing that with a different game in their driveway. Those are all good social activities. When you're thinking about other people, you're having to think of their perspective. You're thinking about your own feelings. Maybe someone's watching you out the window or you're leaving a note. There's good social interpersonal interaction and development there. You can do it through good old fashioned pen pals. We can be writing letters or postcards, video chats. If you can get someone to do story time over video chat, that's really a discussion and an engagement in the story. That would be really great for them. Anything that requires their engagement. So I know kids are using a lot of technology right now, and I know parents are also worried about that. If it requires their engagement, if there's a social aspect to it, that's the kind of technology that you want. You don't want kids just passively consuming something, but if there's a virtual field trip or a game where they have to interact back and forth, that can actually be okay for them right now, good for them. Rachel, I heard you mention childcare just now, and I think it's interesting because I think we all were very worried about our children's academics when school had to go remote and close down very suddenly at the beginning of the pandemic. None of us realized how long this was going to last and how much it would affect schools. So what do we know about school and childcare in terms of social emotional development now that it's changed so much in the last year? Well, we know that social emotional development is a critical part of school and childcare and something that we focus on significantly as essential learning for all children. Absolutely young children in childcare when they're building the foundations of how to be a good human, how to be a contributing person and understanding their own identity and how to work with others. But that's a big part of what school offers. We talked about the value of routine and children working together. Those dreaded group projects are actually really good for kids. They learn to work together and negotiate and overcome things. The routines and schedules built into childcare and schools are really good for children's learning. So if that's an option for you and it's in your communities and it's safe, it can be very valuable. It really is a great opportunity for children to be getting that social emotional learning and support that they need and provide some really valuable experiences. In the interim, if that's not an option to you, as a family, as an adult, you can offer a lot of those resources. And we just talked about a lot of ideas about how to do that. But just knowing to think about childcare, to think about school as more than a place for academics, it can be helpful as you make choices as a family about when to return to some of those things. Let's end on a, on a positive note, Rachel. What is the silver lining, if there is one to this pandemic? Is there anything my kids are going to learn from all this? There's a lot of opportunity for kids to learn from this. We just talked about giving them some added responsibility. 
in many households, kids are doing distance learning and parents are working from home and they're seeing different sides of each other and the dynamics are changing a bit and that's okay. You can evolve how your family works together and supports each other. So a lot of good stuff from children learning boundaries about work time and school time and how to manage being a little bored and not having someone direct their day all day and how to deal with disappointment and how to engage with people when they're not right in front of them. So all those can be good things. We don't want to swoop in and fix it all for them. We as parents, we should be asking, what do you think? What are your ideas? Let's try those out. There's a lot of opportunity for flexible and creative thinking. And those are skills of the future. Those are things children are going to need in school and in life. So it's good to build those things now. And I would say, you know, we're still learning about what's happening with learning loss and school and things like that. But I would just say, try as much as you can not to worry. We truly are all in this together in the school system and teachers. And that's what we do. We meet children where they are. We adjust. So try to set aside worry about the unknown and just focusing on these family opportunities and connecting maybe with adults in your life in a different way. All those things can be really positive and build these long-term important skills in children. I love that. And I just, I want to give a shout out to all the parents out there that have made it this far <laughs> into the pandemic yeah. and remind them all to take care of themselves right now. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. I love ending with that because give yourself a break. You're likely being too hard on yourself as a parent right now. You need to adjust your expectations of what success looks like. And it feels hard because it is hard. So take care of yourself. Know that most of the things that you're worrying about for your children are things that are going to be okay. And then again, when there is something that is in that tolerable toxic stress, get help, call in the village, ask for resources. Don't be afraid to do that. It's good for you and it's good for your children too. We hope this episode gave you some ideas on how to help your child through stress and how to spot a bigger issue that might require professional help. We know it's not an easy time, so take the time to take care of yourself and have the strength to support your child. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us and find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time on Teach, Play, Love. And rediscover parenting as a joy it was meant to be.